0: Lou, is it
1: Lou? Lou, yes. Good morning, Your Honors, and may it please the Court, Jeff Lou for Appellant, John Miranda. I'd like to reserve four minutes for rebuttal. This case is the latest in what this Court has characterized as a string of aggressive prejudicial error analyses by the Veterans Court. There are two reasons to reverse. First, under the guise of harmless error, the Veterans Court impermissibly substituted its own rationale for the Board's in violation of the Channery Doctrine. On three consecutive appeals, the Board failed to fulfill the statutory promise Congress made to combat veterans like Mr. Miranda in 38 U.S.C. Section 1154B, which provides a three-step framework that considerably lightens the burden combat veterans face in seeking benefits.
2: Isn't this basically a fact case, whether a head injury occurred during service?
1: No, Your Honor. So we're not asking the Court to do a straight-up prejudicial error analysis, we're asking the court to decide whether channery applies. And there's a narrow exception to the chanery doctrine? Well,
0: I'm a little confused. When, when they're assessing, uh, the they've been the CBC has been given congressional authority to determine if there's a prejudicial error, correct? Yes, Your Honor. So when they're assessing whether there's a prejudicial error, it necessitates looking beyond just the nature of the error to whether the error otherwise impacts what would be a correct outcome. I'm, I'm not going to say something so bold as generally doesn't apply to these kinds of cases. However, sure. um, it seems to me that the very notion of prejudicial error, if if the lower tribunal had considered the other thing that we're talking about, right you wouldn't need to find prejudicial error. So right. I'm a little concerned about the way in which these two doctrines engage with each other, and sure. I'm kind of concerned that you're View of Chenery would make it almost impossible to ever conclude anything is a prejudicial error. Not, not a
1: prejudicial error. Sorry. I understand that concern, Judge Moore, Chief Judge Moore, but I don't think it's real in this case. So let me give you an example. But of it. I'm
0: not just worried about this case, right? You've made a, a broad legal statement about Chenery uh, and the impropriety of of mm-hmm. using um, the board's rationale. So do you have some limiting principles, maybe?
1: Yes. The, the limiting principle is the Veterans' Court can substitute a rationale when the record unquestionably reveals no prejudice. That's tablock. And as the Supreme Court said in Wyman-Gordon, when there is not the slightest uncertainty that the result would have been the same. I'll give you an example in a Section 1154B case, a very common pattern in Veterans' Court cases. So in order to prove, uh, in order to pay, establish a well grounded claim for benefits, the veteran has to prove, one, a current disability, two, in-service injury, and three, a nexus between those two, the disability and the injury. 1154B goes to the proof of in-service injury, but it doesn't go to disability or nexus. So you can imagine a case where the board finds there's no current disability, but then fails to apply Section 1154B at Step 2. In that case, there's clearly no effect 1154B could have had because 1154B doesn't help the veteran establish current disability, and that wouldn't violate chanery because that would be a ground on which the board relied. And in fact, if you look at veterans' court cases, that is by far the most common fact pattern of harmless error reversal, and the principle we're asking the court to apply today on chanery would not touch those cases at all.
2: Okay, but help me here. We'll just look at the board's decision. What's the matter, is a legal matter, with the board's decision?
1: The board fails to apply Section 1154B. How so? Section 1154B provides a three-step framework that the board has to apply. At step one, it has to consider all of the veterans' evidence standing alone. They,
2: they found that his uh, testimony about the head injury was not credible, right? And uh, how does that, uh, our cases seem to suggest that in the first step there under colour collect- determining whether he has satisfactory evidence that there's a credibility determination. Right. And the board seemed to make that credibility determination. What's wrong with that? Well, the board didn't purport to find Mr. I understand that. I'm asking you what's wrong with what,
1: uh, what the board did. Well, the board purported to find Mr. Miranda credible at step one. It purported to then purported to say that the presumption of credibility established at steps one and two was rebutted by clear and convincing evidence. But there's no, if you, you can read the board's decision all day long and not see one iota of heightened deference owed as a result well, of the presumption.
2: But wait, at step one, it's not clear and convincing evidence. It's just, you know, preponderance as to right. whether he's provided satisfactory evidence. And as I read the board's yes. decision, they're saying, no, he didn't provide satisfactory evidence because his testimony is not credible. What's the error in that? I mean, it may be that, that the, the Veterans Court said there was a legal error, but if we determine there was no legal error, we don't even need to reach this question of harmless error, do we? Well, the board didn't say
1: they it was finding Mr. Miranda not credible at Step 1. In fact, the board says the opposite. The board, So I don't think the board's decision can be read that way, Your Honor. The board says he's a due satisfactory lay evidence at Step 1 in applying the Section 154B framework. And the Veterans Court says the same thing. The board found Mr. Miranda credible at Step 1. The where, is, where
2: does the, where does the board say that he was credible at step one?
1: Well, it says he's a due satisfactory lay evidence, Your Honor. It's at, uh, I believe this is at Appendix 40. 40? Yes. So, it's- The board is pur- purporting to proceed to step three of the analysis. And if it's doing that,
2: it necessarily found that he had well, a due satisfactory lay So lay there's there. no actual finding that he's yeah. credible at step one.
1: I don't think the board says he's credible at step one in those exact words, but it says – the board says we're going to proceed to step three, and there's not clear and convincing evidence to rebut the presumption of credibility that would be generated by at steps one and step two. That's exactly how the Veterans Court understood the board, Your Honor, uh, that – it found the board. This it is so convoluted. I mean, it
2: this seems to me so simple that the that the the board found his testimony not credible under our cases. That means it's not satisfactory evidence. End of inquiry. You don't need to go to the others. Well, let me let me add an, another wrinkle to this.
1: At step one, if the board had done a proper step one analysis, it could only consider the evidence in, in the in the veteran's favor standing alone. And then at step two, ask whether that evidence is consistent with the terms of the service. Only at step three, and this is Colette versus Brown, Jensen versus Brown, this court has made clear, only at step three, does evidence against the veterans claim come in. And that's precisely for the
2: purpose. They didn't use, they didn't use the, uh, other, uh, evidence. They relied on his own, uh, statements to find that it wasn't credible because they were inconsistent with each other.
1: I don't think that's right, Your Honor, because the, the key point is that the veter- the board has to look at the vet- the evidence in the veteran's favor. And it's looking at this record, the October 2006 post-deployment questionnaire, and an incomplete service record in an effort to undermine his credibility. That's at step three.
2: Not it's step not one. an incomplete service record. He just said he had no injury in the service record. There's nothing in the statute that prevents them from relying on that.
1: Well, I think the reason why the record is incomplete is because the the line you're talking about in section two, where he marks no next to head injury, that has to be understood in context in light of the incompleteness in section one of that record, where he marks nothing next to whether he experienced a fall injury. Section two of the questionnaire then asked whether he experienced a head injury as a result of the injuries noted in section ask one. did he
2: suffer a head injury in service? He said no.
1: No, Your Honor, Section 2 has to be read in light of Section 1 of that record, and Section 1 is incomplete. So we don't think the Board's, Your Honor, I don't think the Board's analysis rests on a credibility finding at Step 1. That's not what the Board purported to do, and certainly not how the Veterans Court understood the Board to be conducting its analysis. The Board proceeded up to Step 3 and said, we think the presumption of credibility generated Steps 1 and Step 2 are rebutted, but there's the core legal error is that there's no evidence in the entire board decision it gave Mr. Miranda the benefit of that presumption that would have been generated after proceeding through Steps 1 and Steps 2. And there's, under under the limiting principle I gave to Judge Moore, the standard is not the slightest uncertainty. If the board had applied those steps, there's certainly at least some doubt about whether the board could have come out differently. The board's analysis is a throw it all in the hopper and see whether the, the, the VA is right or whether Mr. Miranda is right. That's not what Section 1154B provides at step three. And so given the benefit of that presumption, which this court said in Reeves versus Schinzecki, makes it far easier for the veteran to prove in-service injury, we think there's at least a slight uncertainty about the the outcome of the case had the board followed the proper procedural steps. I think that's true for a second reason as well, which is that the evidence adduced, all of the evidence in, in one place, considered permissibly in one place in step one, necessarily colors the court's analysis at step three. A stronger evidentiary showing could have led the board to reassess the veterans' credibility at step one. It could have led the board to find other facts given the, the structure that section 1154B imposes on the board's reasoning and the procedure the board has to follow in reasoning its way to a conclusion. We think there's two clear, those are two clear ways in which 1154B could have influenced the proper outcome, uh, could have influenced the outcome in the case. Now, the government, to get, to return to my conversation with Judge Moore, the government says we don't have a limiting principle. But it's the government's view that doesn't have a limiting principle. On their view, what the board could have done here, it could have written the same opinion. It could have recited all the facts and then just said, service connection denied, period. No legal analysis, no reference to Section 1154B. On their view, the Veterans Court could then say, affirmed, because we don't see any, any likelihood of a different outcome in this case. That can't be the law. Channery would be a dead letter in Veterans Court cases if that were allowed. And they haven't given you any limiting principle. We're the only one who's provided the court with a limiting principle, and we think that's not the slightest uncertainty standard. In addition to the failure to apply the three steps of Section 1154B, I think the the veterans court also impermissibly found new facts that influenced the court's analysis. The key one I'll point to is a causal finding about the basis for Mr. Miranda's uh, cognitive symptoms. You can compare Appendix 14 to Appendix 35, at Appendix 14, the Veterans Court says the 2007 treatment records show that his, head, his cognitive symptoms were, quote, due to anxiety and depression, not a head injury. At Appendix 35, by contrast, the board analyzes that exact same record, and the board says he's suffering symptoms like anxiety and depression, but the providers found that those symptoms were consistent with TBI and a head injury. Those are two diametrically opposed findings, and that causal finding was one of the key bases on which the Veterans Court reversed. Remember, what the Veterans Court says is the board discounted the 2007 and 2008 treatment notes in Mr. Miranda's favor because they were based solely on the veterans' own testimony. The Veterans Court says, no, the board can't do that. Then it goes into the records and looks at the records Itself, the Veterans Court makes a new factual finding based on that record. It says his symptoms are caused by uh, anxiety and depression, not a head injury. That's a new factual finding under this Court's decision in Tadlock. Uh, that's not allowed. I'd like to reserve the balance of my time for rebuttal. Okay, thank you,
0: Mr. Baboon. Okay.
3: May it please the Court. This Court should either dismiss or affirm the Veterans Court decision. At bottom, this is not a case about records. And the Veterans Court clearly did not engage in de novo fact-finding or substitute its judgment for that of the agency. So all that we have left is Mr. Miranda's disagreement with the Veterans Court's prejudicial uh, error analysis. And a finding on that point would be beyond this court's jurisdiction. I'd like to just uh, turn very quickly to the conversation that Judge Dyke was having with counsel. Um, The Court of Veterans... Um, the Veterans Court did find that the board made an error in its legal analysis regarding 1154, but found that the error was harmless. Admittedly, we did not challenge that directly before this court, but to the extent that this court does find that the board didn't make a legal error because the board determined uh, Mr. Miranda's statements to not constitute credible lay evidence, then certainly it does not, to re- it does not need to revisit the Veterans Court's prejudicial error analysis at all. Now, of course, the appellant asserts that he is not asking the court to make a determination regarding actual prejudice, but I think some of the statements that counsel made and some of the statements in their brief belie that claim. For instance, uh, especially regarding that 2006 post-deployment questionnaire, the appellant essentially wants this court to accord no weight to that um, at all, and so that's a weighing of the evidence that's impermissible. And then at the appellant's reply at 14, 15, 16, he explicitly asks the court to consider the evidence again and says the question is whether the prejudicial error analysis is obviously correct. Now, of course, as I stated at the beginning, the biggest issue with the appellant's argument is that the Veterans Court simply did not engage in impermissible de novo fact-finding or in substituting its own judgment for the boards. Now, what...
0: The limiting principle. Did the veterans court decide in this case that Mr. Miranda's symptoms were due to anxiety and depression?
3: The veterans court noted that there was evidence that the um, head symptoms could be due to anxiety and depression. That, wait,
0: wait, is that what they said? That there's evidence they might be due to it. I what actually. Exactly, did they say?
3: Uh, On APPX 14, the Veterans Court states that the 2007 VA treatment notes found that his neurologic symptoms may have been due to a head injury and suggested that his symptoms were due to anxiety and depression, not a head injury. So the Veterans Court, unlike I think what counsel represents, did not based its finding on this. It was one of many factors that the Veterans Court noted. And it's not a situation at all like the factual situations in Tadlock or in Mayfield. In both Tadlock and Mayfield, the board made one finding. The Veterans Court found that that was not enough um, and that the board made an error and yet affirmed on a completely different finding in which the Veterans Court specifically noted that neither the board nor the VA had engaged in that finding. Here we have the completely different situation where the Veterans Court determined that the board made an error but found that the board noted and engaged with all the relevant facts. And, in fact, if you look at the Veterans Court decision, it continuously cites what the board did, what the board noted, what the board found. And so it's simply not a situation where we have – Sort of two circles that are far apart and there's no overlap, like what happened in Tadlock and McDonough. Here, instead, we have two almost concentric circles, and I think that what's happening is that Mr. Miranda is attempting to make a mountain out of a molehill in pointing to the slight distinctions between the Veterans Court's analysis and the boards. But there's no requirement that the two be identical. Indeed, I think, as Judge Moore you noted, um if the findings were identical, then there would be no prejudicial error analysis at all because the board would not have erred. I also want to turn to what appellant said about the limiting principles. I think it's clear that appellant is actually trying to to constrict those limiting principles even beyond what this court found in McDonough, and in fact wants to completely ignore this court's decisions in Newhouse, Mleczuk, and Fleshman. In the Tadlock case, this court said affirmance in the face of an error may be made by the Veterans Court if the record already contains findings made previously by the VA or the board that support affirmance, or the record makes clear that the board could not have reached any other decision, Um, it seems like appellant is suggesting that this court limit to the uh, issue of the board not reaching any other decision and not engage with the issue of whether the record already contains findings that support affirmance. And here the record is replete with findings that support affirmance. I also want to note um, appellant's statement that the Chenery Doctrine uh, precludes affirmance of the Veterans Court's decision But in this court's uh, decision in Newhouse, it stated a determination of whether a VA error is prejudicial or harmless is not a determination or judgment which VA alone is authorized to make. Therefore, a prejudicial error analysis in and of itself does not violate Chenery. And we're not stating that Chenery can never be violated, but this court also stated in Fleshman that the Chenery doctrine is not applied inflexibly. And therefore, I think it's just clear in this case, based on the record and based on a comparison of the board's decision and the veterans' court decision, that Chenery was not violated. The veterans' court did not engage in such de novo fact-finding that there could be an adequate reversal. Um, before I sit down, I just briefly want to touch on Appellant's argument regarding um, the 2006 post-deployment questionnaire. Ms. Miranda's argument on that point uh basically saying that it's an absence of an official record or a lack of an official record, makes little sense. His reasoning would have us disregard the form and the statements on it altogether, and in doing so, it twists Section 1154B in a manner that could not have reasonably be, been intended. I think by his logic, you basically could never use a form that's harmful to the veteran uh, to rebut a presumption that to rebut the presumption that the veteran had used lay evidence to satisfy prong one and therefore would turn it into a nigh irrebuttable statutory presumption, which this court has specifically cautioned against. I'm happy to answer any other questions. Otherwise, respectfully request that this court dismiss or affirm.
2: What, which, which?
3: Well, we would ask in the first instance that this court dismiss. But if this court dis- determines that it has jurisdiction, then in, we would ask in the alternative that the court affirm. Thank you.
0: Do we have jurisdiction to look at the DAVC's prejudicial error determination?
3: You have, this court has jurisdiction to determine whether the Veterans Court exceeded its jurisdiction by making uh, de novo findings a fact, but it can't go beyond that and certainly cannot make a determination that weighs the evidence or goes to actual prejudice.
0: But we can, can't we assess whether or not um, Cherry, for example, was violated by the Veterans Court uh, deciding a fact that is different than what the board found?
3: In that very limited circumstance, the, the veteran, this court could decide that the veterans court violated Chenery, but I don't think that it could go so far as to reverse the veterans court's determination on that ground because then you'd have to look at whether the balance of those facts, um, still support a finding of, uh, No harmless error by the board, and that's a factual determination. But I think that Chenery does not stand for the principle, again, that the Veterans Court cannot make a single finding of fact That's clearly based in the record before the court that the board didn't make. What Chenery stands for is a situation where the agency did not make a determination at all on that ground, and the Veterans Court made a determination that was wholly outside what the agency made, and that's not what happened here. It
0: seems like a much broader understanding of these legal principles than our Tadlock decision.
3: Um, I think that... I don't think that Tadlock necessarily stands for the um, principle that the veterans court cannot make a single uh, finding of fact outside what the board specifically made. Indeed, it did not overrule Fleshman and Newhouse and um, Mlechik. And in those cases, the court stated that the doctrine does not prohibit a reviewing court from affirming an agency decision on a ground different from the one uh, used by the agency if the new Ground is one that calls for determination or judgment, which the administrative um, agency alone is to make. And I think that the cases that support um, the determination here make clear that Tadlock does not stand for that proposition where the Veterans Court can make one single stray finding and that obviates its entire prejudicial error analysis. And Tadlock, of course, also states that the Veterans Court is not limited to considering only the facts relied on by the board and the VA, but can and must consult the full agency record. And again, I think Tadlock is just so... There's,
0: there's a difference between consulting the record and making a fact-finding, isn't there? And doesn't 7261C expressly prohibit fact-finding? Yes,
3: but again, I don't think that the Veterans Court was necessarily making a fact-finding. What it stated in its decision was noting that there was a VA treatment note that found that his neurologic symptoms may have been due to anxiety and depression. That was not necessarily...
0: Did they conclude that the medical records didn't support or were medical records contradicted Mr. Miranda's testimony?
3: They found that the medical records as a whole contradicted Mr. Miranda's testimony, but that's is that also not a
0: fact-finding.: It's what a medical records disclose. Isn't that a fact-finding? It is the same fact-finding
3: made by the court or sorry, made by the board.: The
0: board just determined that Mr. Miranda's medical records, the 2007 records did not, in fact, support
3: his testimony. Well, the board didn't specifically find that the 2007 medical records standing alone were not consistent with his testimony, but neither did the Veterans Court. Both the board and the Veterans Court looked at Mr. Miranda's records as a whole and found that... um, the evidence was not credible because the statements were both internally contradictory and contradictory to some of the service and medical records. So so, I,
0: so if I were to read the Veterans Court's opinion as um, finding or uh, concluding or whatever you want to say that, that these particular medical records um, are in conflict with or don't support his testimony – where could I find the genesis of that fact-finding in the board's opinion? Where would be the place you'd like to direct me in the appendix where I can look to see that the board actually made a similar fact-finding and that this is not the Veterans Court making a fact-finding?
3: Well, again, not specifically with regard to the two thousand and seven uh, where did
0: they say we've reviewed the medical records and we see none that support his testimony or something they don't have to articulate that one in particular. They could have made a more general statement, but you and I both agree that the statute prohibits the c a b c from making fact findings, even with regard to prejudicial error because C comes right after b right <laughs> you know so even with regard to prejudicial error, they can't make fact findings.
3: Well, the board specifically states with regard to 1154B that it finds um, by clear and convincing evidence that the reports are not credible and that, exp- as explained above, the veteran has variously reported um, that his TBI was the result of different things and states that these are in contradiction to the 2006 post-deployment questionnaire. And I think it's important to note that in its 1154
0: 1154- does
3: any of that have to do with the medical records? It, it does because the medical records find that um, the medical records are the source of some of the veterans' various reportings as to why his information contradicted each other. Some of that was in the medical records. Some of that was in lay statements. But I think what's important is that the board specifically says, as explained above, and as explained above, there's I think two and a half pages worth of the board um, making finding factual findings uh regarding both lay statements of the veteran and statements that were made uh in the course of medical determinations and I think to find no prejudicial error, you don't only need to look to that one paragraph regarding 1154B. You need to look to the board's decision as a whole because the board's decision as a whole has that factual basis, makes a lot of findings of fact of the various um, treatment records and the various veteran statements. And as a whole, the board, again, referring back to that, found that the very, the um, veteran's evidence was not um, – that there was clear and convincing evidence that the reports were not credible if you were to look, look strict- I mean,
2: What you have here is a situation in which maybe what the board did uh, was not proper, but we also have to uh, take account of the rule of prejudicial error. The, the board found he was not credible. The uh, uh, CABC found that the board said he was not credible. Uh, Maybe they put it in the wrong box instead of at step one, but at step one, you know, that's a legal issue. And whether they made a mistake in putting it in the wrong box, if, it's, if they found his testimony not satisfactory because it wasn't credible, this whole presumption goes away, right?
3: Uh, yes, Your Honor. We agree with that point. Um, so even if this court finds that the Veterans Court erred in its legal analysis and agrees with that board, that would still uh, be grounds for affirmance because the Veterans Court's error would then be harmless if the court found that the board did not err in the first instance. I see I'm out of time, so thank you.
1: I'd like to make three quick points, Your Honor. First on jurisdiction. I heard the government say a lot about jurisdiction, but ultimately concede that this court does have jurisdiction to determine whether chainery applies. They make the same concession at page 17 of their brief. So we think that's clear. Judge Dyke, to your question about whether this is just a wrong box-checking exercise, we don't think so, because the question at step three is whether clear and convincing evidence rebuts his credibility. At step one, the question is whether he's a satisfactory lay evidence, considering only the evidence in his favor. And here, the 2007 and 2008 treatment notes are consistently in Mr. Miranda's favor. Considering that evidence alone, the board may well have reached a different result. Second, I want to address Mayfield. The other side says Mayfield is distinguishable from this case because I'm nitpicking a single factual finding about anxiety and depression, whereas in Mayfield there were more facts. They looked at the whole record. That's not an accurate characterization of Mayfield, Your Honors. In that case, uh the Federal Circuit said the Veterans Court held that the uh, the statutory notice requirements were satisfied by a different letter than the ones the board had considered. That is a single factual finding that the court said, we can't say that the error is harmless such that Channery does not apply. We can't say that there's not the slightest uncertainty that that error was harmless. We're going to send it back down for the Veterans Court to remand to the board so they can consider this one notice, which if you read Mayfield, the Federal Circuit, this court is absolutely clear, that it thought that letter was clearly designed to satisfy VA statutory notice requirements. Nonetheless, this court said, there's some doubt that that error might not be harmless. We have to remand under Channery. I think that leads me to my third point. It also puts the lie to their, uh, their view of Newhouse and Emlachek. Those cases do say that harmless error has to be reconciled with Channery, but it can't be the, the fact that the, uh, it can't be the fact that because the veterans court has to consider prejudicial error and the channery doesn't apply, that same rule of prejudicial error appears in the APA, 5 U.S.C. Section 706. So their rule really would render channery a dead letter because every court reviewing agency action has to take due account of the rule of prejudicial error. That statutory obligation cannot obviate the channery doctrine. And I think it's telling. I didn't hear my friend on the other side say one word against my hypothetical, that if the board simply recited the facts and then said service connection denied, that the Veterans Court, on their view, could affirm, even though the board did not discuss one piece of law at all in its analysis. That can't be the law. There's at least some slight uncertainty that the result in this case will be different. So we ask the court to vacate and remand. Thank you, Your Honor. Okay, I thank both
0: counsel. The case is taken under submission.